You're listening to Tango Uncorked. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Who is this man who you are listening to? Who is this sexy voice? Is this still Adam Hoopengardner? It is, with a wicked chest cold. Although, besides the uh, chest and throat, I feel absolutely fine. I'm just walking around with this sexy-ass voice. Welcome to Tango Uncorked. It is Tuesday, June 18th, and I'm going to send you guys off here with one more show before I take off for Thailand for the next two weeks. Um, I see a lot of really silly, and I guess for you guys, some of you, it's not silly, but I don't know, I've been doing this for a long time, uh, silly things on Facebook about tango and what is tango, what is social tango, what is real tango, what is this, what is that, and I guess I've, I know I've been there, I've been in that headspace trying to identify or justify or come to some sort of higher belief or power of what all this nonsense is, but Listen, there's things in the world that are actually happening that matter. Like children being detained at the border and Donald Trump trying to be the president for the rest of his life and uh, all sorts of terrible things happening around the world. And who cares, man? (laughs) Really? Like, let's just dance and have fun and enjoy it and keep each other safe from creepy people in the world and then in the tango community. Uh, other than that, like, what are we bickering about? What is the, what is the big deal? You know, I don't know. I don't mean to go off on a high horse here, but I just see a lot of stuff on Facebook every day. And I mean, some people commenting on this don't even dance tango much. They, they have these, all these opinions and they never even go out. And I'm like, what are you wasting your time for? Why are you getting involved? Maybe this is all you have. If it is, well, I'm sorry about that. Um, okay, I'm done. That's it. I I have a guest on my show today who I think is an inspiration. She is for me. She has been for several years, many years, more than several. I met Norma Silver oh, probably six or seven years ago at a milonga. I, my, one of my milongas, and I didn't think twice, didn't think this way or that. I just asked this woman to dance. We danced. Um couple weeks later, months later, I don't know, the studio called and said, hey, this is a woman who wants a private lesson. And we've started this beautiful friendship that's lasted many years. Um, Norma is just turned 90, and she started dancing in her late 70s. And uh, her story is kind of an inspiration because it just goes to show you that for not for, for everyone, tango is not always such a bad thing. Um, she seems to find a lot of purpose and joy and fulfillment in her life from it and also um, it's never new too late to start something new and it's never there's never a time to stop learning and growing as a person no matter what your situation or age in life is and I think that to continue growing and, and pursuing some interest keeps us young and vibrant and I, I strongly believe that so I sit down with Norma we have a nice chat um She's a wonderful person. She's pretty well known here in the in the Jersey, New York City area. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm going to the the world of Thailand tonight. Uh, it's a two day journey. I haven't taken a two day journey in a plane before, but well, 
well, it's been a while. Let's just say that. I have a list of things to do, and of course, on my list, I have the library. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but I think I might have to check out a book. Um, I might return a book. I keep I keep renewing it because uh, I know I want to eventually read it, but maybe I'll send it back and, and let somebody else have the opportunity to check it out. But that's one of my list of things to do on my list of things to do as well as um you know the usual bank credit cards laundry pack some food and have a good freaking time so i'm going to be away for two weeks we'll have a little break for the show coming back in july don't forget at the end of july the cleveland tango marathon is happening um chico and i were just in portland maine this past weekend i got back last night we had a really good time. The community there is amazing. The city, the town is amazing. Really great food. Um, what a For a small tango community, it is a really, really good tango community. Um, and uh, I look forward to returning. So I want to thank everyone there, Paul, the organizer, and everybody there. So I hope you enjoy the show. I hope you enjoy meeting Norma Silver. And uh, we will see you in a few weeks, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> You know, looking is half the battle. Oh, yeah? Looking professional is half the battle. Well, you look the part. (laughs) (laughs) You do. Thank you. So you're, this is your first interview ever? First interview in my long life. Oh, my God. Well, you're only like 22. That's true. Yeah. I have many years ahead of me. (laughs) (laughs) So there might be a few more. So we're here with Norma Silver who has been a friend of mine so six years now we've known each other right yeah mm-hmm. and i'm i'm sure some of your friends are going to be interested to, to listen to this because i know you have a lot of friends here in the tango world that that are care about you very much and want to know maybe want to know a little bit more about you oh i didn't know that but <laughs> it's good to know but before we get started. I just want to acknowledge you because um, every time I go to a doctor and get an exam, I am told the same thing. Go thank your tango teachers for keeping you in the good health that you have. So I am starting off by acknowledging you and what fun, what a fun way to get healthy. What a fun way to stay healthy. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you you'd started dancing tango about six years ago, or would you had you started? We met six years ago. Did you start prior to that? I started in about let's see. I would say I started a long, much longer time than that. I started in two thousand seven. Okay. And you I took some trips to Buenos Aires. About with a tri- on a trip to Buenos Aires. Um, and fell in love with it and was very much in love with it way before I took lessons. Mm. The music? The music, the dancing, and um, I think just the connection, connection idea. But I also fell in love with it 
right after I saw Scent of a Woman with Al Pacino doing his tango bit, mm -hmm. um, I had it on my mind a long time and thought, I'll never be able to do it, but part of me really wanted to. So it's never too late to start something new. It is never too late. I would love everybody out there to know that I started doing the tango in my late 70s. Mm -hmm. By now, everybody knows how old I am, so I can tell them that uh, it was the late 70s, and thank goodness to all the teachers and the people who danced with me because I was encouraged from the very beginning. And it's also, you have to thank yourself for maintaining your uh, drive and your interest in it. You know, it's not, we can't come to your house and force you to leave and come to class and go dancing. You have to make that determination on your own. Oh, thank you. you but know? I think that you would know too, because I'm sure that you have this passion for the tango, that when you get hooked, you walk to the ends of the earth to get a good tanda. That's true. So and we met at a milonga here, Malaleche, yes. early Malaleche, when nobody was coming yet. Oh, Adam, And you that came to was watch Eleonora and Nay perform, I believe. I came to see their performance, mm -hmm. and you were good enough, again, you were good enough to dance with me, and every good dance just kept me going. As they always do, right? Yes. Yeah. And also, you've come a long way with your malongas because mm -hmm. that was pretty small. Yeah, yeah, we worked hard. So your teachers, you've worked with Carolina and Diego in New Jersey, right? Carolina and Diego were my first teachers. Mm -hmm. Basically Diego, but of course Carolina, when we went on our group um, trips, were part were, was part of the teaching team. But... Um, I have to acknowledge Diego because it was Diego who would say to me after the many times I would say, I'm too old, I'm quitting, I'm too old, I'm quitting, and he would encourage me. And he was also someone who told me from the very beginning and uh, that I, I had the ability to follow. I had none of the technique because I did not, uh, I hadn't taken any lessons. But after one or two tandas with uh, Diego at my first lesson, he said, Norma, you have the ability to follow, and you can do this dance. And um, to this very day, I thank him for that. That's great. And it brought me also experiences with other teachers because I spent time in L.A., and I have to mention Vladimir Estrin was my teacher in L.A., mm -hmm. And currently, when I go to Florida, um, I have to mention Pablo. Um, Pablo is um, my Florida teacher, and all of those teachers have encouraged me. And I think Vlad was the first teacher to pick you up, right? <laughs> and Vlad <laughs> was. Give you a lift. I haven't had one. <laughs> I haven't had. I haven't had once. Done. Yeah. And I was in total shock because, uh, again, being my age, I didn't think that was going to happen. Yes. You never know. And so, you never know. And that's a very good, good lesson. You mm. never know. So you've been a very uh, bad influence in my life 
for all for very good reasons. I'm just kidding, but um, because I wanted to share with the audience how long time a couple years ago I I got inspired. I wanted to buy a motorhome, right? And right. I I kept telling myself why I shouldn't buy it, and then one day we were we were together for a lesson, and I mentioned to you, and you said, um, "Would you regret buying it?" And I said, "No." And you said, "Well, would you regret not buying it?" And I said, "Probably." <laughs> so I, I went and bought it, of course. I remember that. It seems like yesterday. Yeah. I remember that. But it was good advice. It was. It was. You just needed a little encouragement. Mm -hmm. I think I have a lot of friends who are uh, too practical. So they kept telling me, "Oh no, maybe don't put your money into that. Don't do it. Don't do it." Right. But, right. But I needed somebody with a little bit more wisdom to say, like, "Hey, you." You might not have this opportunity again. You might want to give it a shot. And my three favorite words are go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the same thing that I did with the tango. I yeah. went for it. Mm -hmm. And look what happened. So I had all these wonderful experiences buying this motorhome. And you've had all these wonderful experiences that you went through for tango. Absolutely wonderful. I mean, I don't have enough adjectives to describe how much this has absolutely enriched my retirement because uh, after, re after finishing work, I thought, well, it's going to be kind of dull. And the opposite happened. Once I found tango, uh, I haven't had one boring minute because even on the days that I don't dance, I play the music that I have danced to. Um, it's just really, I think, the best thing physically, but also the best thing emotionally. Mm. And actually, it currently has come out by physicians and psychologists that dancing helps you psychologically and physically, and I can understand that. And there's also evidence that patients with Parkinson's and other sort of disorders like that um, they benefit a lot by not only dancing, but specifically tango dancing. There's something about the connect, the way you connect with another person through the music that apparently is very helpful. That's a thing that I'd like. I even I wrote notes. I wrote notes about that, and because I'm really interested into the in the psychology, the health of it too. Because, uh, like I said, my doctor said, just say don't stop and just thank your teachers, but. I think that psychologically I'm also interested, and I have a few quotes here, or one particular one, and that most probably would apply to people who are handicapped and, can, and are able to dance to tango. And it's, my quote is, people feel really see, seen when you can see and express to them what you feel. And I added, people feel really seen in the tango. You can't not be seen. You're facing each other. <laughs> so um, that's such a plus. Can you say the first part again? People feel really seen when you can see and express to them what you feel. And, um, and then I added, mm -hmm. I added, um, how can you not be seen when you're doing the tango? Even if you're not doing close embrace, mm -hmm. you're face to face, and uh, you, ha you have to look at each other. It makes me think about people I know, people in my family and people that I know who are 
are very isolated and aren't seen, even by somebody that they care about, somebody they share their life with, and something that I think allows tango and dance in general, it, it does just that. It, it puts you in a place where you feel appreciated. At least, even if you're not appreciated, you're there and you exist. It, even if the people that, that you happen to be experiencing that moment with aren't treating you great at that moment. Um, I don't know. It, it sort of gives you a purpose in a way. And you don't disappear from, from the world. No, you, no uh, it doesn't matter whether you see that person again or not. For that tanda, you are looking at someone and someone's looking at you. And that's called a connection. And connections are healthy. I mean, seldom would you ever have a bad connection. Most people in dancing are either neutral or really uh, enjoying. But at that moment, you are together with someone. And there are some people, as you say, that can be with, who can be with people, but they're not seen or they don't feel seen and they can feel very alone in a crowd. You can't feel alone when you're dancing the tango. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very hard, especially with such an intimate dance like this. So I'm, you've, over the years we've known each other, occasionally you'll, you'll pop out with an interesting story about your past. When I was hoping we could talk a little bit if you're comfortable about some of those. Well, maybe the most interesting thing in my career was that I taught overseas for the Air Force. And to bring it back to dancing, one year was spent in Tokyo, and that was uh, in the 50s. And the interesting thing about uh, being in Tokyo was that you could go to a coffee shop very much like our coffee shops here, and uh, there would be a three-piece um, a band or three three musicians and the Japanese people loved loved the dance it was almost like going out here to have a cup of coffee and you would find three musicians and you would find some small dance floor and people dancing and that was a shock to me because and they were da dancing American music they loved the Lindy I guess now it's called jive but uh, that was very interesting to me. And you were there during the war, teaching English? No, it was post-war. No. My year post -war. in Japan was from 1956 okay. to 1957. I also taught in London, and also the English people absolutely adored ballroom dancing. So that was interesting. Yeah. And you had a story about, I don't know if you want to talk about this, you had a story about how you were almost we were forced to be a geisha. <laughs> well, okay, I'll, I'll just tell tell it very very quickly. Okay, it was I was in Kyoto, which was very far from the base that I was teaching at, and I had gone alone. And it was springtime, and the Japanese absolutely celebrate and adore. Uh, cherry blossom time and it was cherry blossom time I did not speak a word of Japanese except hello goodbye and thank you and it was and I but I was very brave then I was brave to start out uh, teaching for the Air Force I was brave and I, I decided I would go to the festival 
And of course, there were uh, Western hotels and there were hotels called Riocons, which were like, I guess, bed and breakfast inns here. The Western hotels were all filled up, and um, the cab driver drove me from one place to another, and all the Riocons were filled up. And I said, well, I think I'll go to the station and go back home. And he said, no, wait, and he said it in Japanese, and wait, I take you. And he took me up a few very shady-looking streets. By this time, I was exhausted. I hadn't told anybody at the base that I, had, I was going anywhere, and it was really, I was risking, but he, I trusted him, and he finally took me to this lovely-looking small inn, and I walked in, and the woman didn't exactly speak a lot of English, but she said, yes, yes, we have room. Long story short, um, when I got up in the, when I went, when I first got into uh, the room, I noticed that outside uh, the other hotel rooms were shoes lined up. And noticed that men were going and coming and going and coming and a lot of action. And it was very, very late. Didn't think of anything. Was very, very tired and just, um, just fell asleep and heard a knock on my door and opened the door and it was a Japanese man who thought I was there working that mm -hmm. night and I immediately put on my shoes, ran as fast as I could to the train station and that was, I never got to see the cherry blossoms <laughs> and that was my experience in Tokyo. It was wow. Kyoto. When at this time, talking about the 50s, women were not doing these kind of things necessarily, not the way they do now, traveling the world, working in the Air Force. Right. Um, how, did, what, how did you find the courage or the, make the decision to decide to, to embark on that instead of staying in Brooklyn and working a, a normal you were a teacher in Brooklyn. I was teaching in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn, in Bedford-Stuyvesant section, maybe close to where you are living now. And um, my principal um, kept looking out for me for some reason. We had formed a we had formed a friendship, and one day he said, "You know, Norma, wouldn't you love to travel?" And I said, "You know, actually, yes. I've been thinking about it." He said, "I just saw an ad in the newspaper about." teachers being needed overseas, and that would be a really good way for you to see the world. And I thought about it overnight and um, looked at this small ad and looked at it, and then um, just one day went to the, uh, the, the employment office of the Air Force, and um, I, I didn't think they were going to accept me, but I, I made, had the application, and um, I also, also should say that not only did women not have the chance to travel or weren't encouraged, but my family was very protective and didn't even want me to find my own apartment. So I did this all behind the back. So you were still living at home? At still time? living at home. Okay. I went to Brooklyn College and mm -hmm. then taught in Brooklyn, so I was living at home and was thinking of getting an apartment in New York or, or in Brooklyn. And um, 
this principal kept encouraging me to uh, to travel and long story short I filled out the application never expecting to get a job and one day I got a telegram saying you've been assigned to the Azores um, I did not even know where the Azores were I didn't it was, either until you told me about yeah. <laughs> you spent time there <laughs> <laughs> it was before computers mm-hmm. it, I had to go to the encyclopedia we had encyclopedias i had to go to the encyclopedia and look it up look the place up and decided yes i want to go because it's surrounded by water and i just love any place that's surrounded by water and it was fairly i don't think that it was winter it was described as a very windy place but there was another factor that was attracting me to this place I was in my early 20s, and this was a base, an Air Force base, and Air Force, uh, the Air Force pilots had to stop in the Azores in order to refuel. Mm. And there were only five of us, five women from the Air Force on the base, and there were, every single night, there were all these handsome, uniformed officers in the officers' club, and uh, you could just have your pick they, because you were, <laughs> you were so desired. Anyway, the long, long story short, um, it was a joy, and the island was very, very beautiful. Mm. Also, I, because I uh, was with the Air Force, the Portuguese Air Force shared the, uh, the base, and I uh, was able practically every other weekend to travel with the uh, with a Portuguese Air Force from the Azores to Lisbon and got to see Lisbon. Uh, are, you f- are you flying there or are you on a ship? Nope, flying on an, a small plane. This was pre-jet. So this is exciting. This is exciting. I'm, sa- I'm, a ge- I'm guessing this is a very exciting time in your life where you're flying that, to Lisbon once yeah, a week or so to Every other hang week, out. yeah, yeah. And good living. I mean, I'm I'm not particularly domesticated, and and I had a maid every day, and I think it was three dollars a week or something like that. Hmm. But more than that, going to Lisbon was uh, was exciting because I guess I always loved music, and uh, Portuguese people are known for a song called Fado, and Fado is very much like tango, in that it talk Fado. Ex- talks a lot about emotion mm-hmm. and just like all the tango songs are stories about heartfelt things the fado was uh, was was the same kind of music but it was portuguese but so no you went not from living at home yes to living on the azores yes There's, that's that's a quite a the leap it was it was <laughs> it was a leap but i think that um, there's part of my nature that is adventurous, oh, and yeah. I, 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 I would say so. I, I think it's still, it's still. I, I don't think it stopped. There's no, there were no baby steps there. It wasn't like I'll get an apartment first, and then I'll go to visit some other city, and then maybe I'll. You went from Brooklyn to the Azores. I went from Brooklyn service. to the Azores. I went from a school that was impoverished and with impoverished in in the fact that most of the children had no books and weren't able to read and paid absolutely no attention to the teachers because half of them came 
um, and were uh, half asleep. I mean, they were living under really bad conditions. And when I got to the military, the military children are practically like their parents. Yes, sir. No, sir. Mm. Yes, sir. It was a joy. It really was a joy. Teaching overseas was a joy for me. And how long were you there again? I had a three-year leave of absence from the Brooklyn School. I spent one year in the Azores, and then the following year I went to Tokyo and taught about an hour outside of Tokyo. And then my third year was in in England, and I was and I was given uh, housing all the time. Right. And I was given a beautiful apartment on the Thames River wow. in um, in London, and um, that. It was, it was, I would say, one of the best times of my life. What an experience to have to look back on. That's amazing. And, yes, yeah. Yeah. And to this very day, along with all my tango music, I have Portuguese music. Mm-hmm. Don't have any Japanese music, and I couldn't pick up Japanese. Mm-hmm. I was able to pick up Portuguese, but I couldn't pick up Japanese except for hello, goodbye, and thank you. Yeah. That's interesting. And how was it uh, to come back home after that time? What was the culture shock like? When I came back home, I came back, and um, the suburban schools were beginning to flourish and were begging for teachers. And I just spent another six months in Brooklyn where um, my heart broke for the children who came in. Very often I would bring breakfast, and I would bring clothing if I could find clothing uh, from my family. And it really was stressful and also painful to see children suffering like that. And I was offered a job in Paramus, which was a whole different kind of um, demographic group. And I took a job in Paramus in a brand new school where the children were a reading on level or above level and uh, stayed in Paramus for the rest of my teaching career with all the memories of the Air Force days. And how long? And to this very day, I have to add this as I'm thinking about it, the name of the Air Force Base um, uh, in Tokyo was largest Air Force Base. No, that was Portugal, the Azores. I, the the name of the base was Largest Air Force Base, and they have a Facebook page, and I check the page every single day and put a like under it, and so I get all kinds of information about what's going on on the Air Force Base. Wow. I was stunned to find it. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Wow. I'm stunned um, that you're so on top of social media. <laughs> oh, what, how can you not be? Uh, because, and I don't want this to sound, you know, to make this sound the, the wrong way, but a lot of people of a certain age, they don't seem to keep up. It's it, What I find inspiring about you, and I think people might will agree, is um, you don't let age be anything but a number. That you're keeping your, you're constantly trying to learn new things, and you're redecorating your apartment. You just bought a new car. Uh, I mean, there's so many things that I think people, they reach a point in life when they're, they, they I don't know, they, accept, they they sort of tell themselves, this is my space, this is my place now. I don't know. You seem to just keep going and, and wanting to stay, stay growing and stay inspired. 
Well, I think it has, age has the opposite effect on me. And again, we can go, uh, we can go to the fact that I am very healthy. In fact, sometimes when I have my blood work done, my physician says, Norma, I wish I had your blood work. And I'll go back to the fact that the tango has helped me and I'm healthy. If, and my feeling is uh, the opposite. My feeling is as long as I'm, I'm healthy and I'm independent and I can drive and I can dance, 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 and listen to dance music, I want to squeeze everything in because the day may come, after all, that's a reality, where all of that will stop, so I'm trying to get it all in while I can. Not in a um, hurried kind of way, in a stop and smell the flowers every day kind of way. But I feel like a lot of people let things like fear stop them, and you don't seem to have that issue. Is there, have, you, have you ever considered that? I think that's part of my nature. I think uh, from the time I was two or three, um, I, I wanted to know what was around. The, I never want, I just wanted to move from where I was to see what was around the block. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think that that's just me. And I don't think I, I'm a very fearful person. So you have a natural curiosity for things. Yeah, and I also, I do, and I, I have trust that because so many wonderful things have happened, and I'll again emphasize the tango, I mean, how I got started with it, how I met people in tango, I just find, that I just have found after all these years that adventure is waiting out there every single day. Mm-hmm, yeah. Did you have to, I I'm curious about, we live in this, in, nowadays we live in a very, how do I put this, health-oriented culture. We're always, you know, I, I think in a way it's almost more stressful than it should be because every day people are so concerned about their health and, and like eating right and working out and, and not drinking and not smoking. And and I don't feel like you grew up in a time when those things were, were quite as, as stressed upon in magazines, in social cultures, but I wonder. Uh, maybe, maybe you you've you've lived so long and you've maintained your health so much because you've 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 developed sort of like an immunity. <laughs> I I have developed an immunity to all of that because I I'm boiling it down to a very sad fact that pleasure is not emphasized enough. Uh, I guess that's why I love the tango so much. But I think that much pleasure has been spoiled in eating mm. and in just living with so much technology. We find we hear so much about disease that it might just be that it's been overemphasized a little bit too much. Mm. I mean, I have friends who won't touch a piece of chocolate or have a dessert or we'll eat salads every day. Um, yes, it's important to be healthy, but I always say that if you love some food, then it's going to be healthy for you. And if you're going to eat a salad and hate what you're eating, why bother? Mm. <laughs> so, and I am the worst possible example of somebody who eats healthy. I just eat what I want. 
Well, um, some people think we have an internal battery, and no matter how we treat ourselves, one day that battery is going to expire, regardless of anything else. Yeah, well, well, it's been shown that there have been many, many healthy people, men and women, who have really worked out, eaten the right foods, and it has also been shown that those same people have had health problems similar to those who um, are just eating in another way. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about people who overindulge. Right, right, I'm right. talking about people who eat moderately. Yeah. No, there's definitely... And I also think that a lot of, of um, how long you live and how happy you are has something to do with working very hard to be emotionally happy. Hmm. Yeah. I, I agree. I feel, and yeah, sorry. And, and that, I think, takes a lot of looking at yourself, which is very hard to do. Um, self-love, you said self-love, I think, or something to that effect, and, and uh, self-awareness. Self-caring and self-awareness. Self Pleasure, another Pleasure. One. Oh, ple yeah, that, that's a, a big, another thing that I think uh, needs to be emphasized and I, and you can't emphasize it enough. The include you including joy in your life, and we work very very hard as we should um, to have good lives, affluent lives, and we need to do the same about including joy and pleasure. Yeah, and I think something I've spoken to on this show with other people about, and also in private about. Because I suffer from this, um, not always beating yourself up about every little thing and just sort of accepting yourself more for who you are. Oh, Adam, you don't know? do that. You do so much. Well, I'm not trying to bring it up in a way that you're going to give me your sympathy. No. I just mean that because I'm trying to relate to your point about how if you, because what you said made me think of the word stress. And I think sometimes if we overstress about our quality of life and our health and, and these things that we end up being emotionally just stressed all the time. Yes. And sometimes it's good to just let it go. Yes. And, and try to find that balance. I agree. And you said don't overindulge, which I also agree with, but sort of maintaining some sort of balance. Because I was speaking to a friend of mine recently and I said sometimes, you know, I actually can go out to a, a bar and watch some sports drink some beer and I'll wake up the next day feeling more refreshed than if I went to bed early and had tea and told myself no you need to stay in because your health is more important blah, 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 blah. and I'll wake up the next day feeling kind of like more anxiety than if I would have just gone out and relaxed and had a nice evening because again I feel maybe it's just me but I feel right now the culture in the country in this country especially is so health driven there's like a, a serious sense of uh, it's very even people I talk to are my age you know they're just there's a lot of guilt around these sort of choices and I don't think that stigma used to always be there so much that's all oh well listen it's kind of um, well known or um, it's it's very I think American I hear that from Europeans that um, Americans are very goal-oriented hmm. and 
there's a lot of competition to be at the top of something or to have status and prestige. And the European people I know, and I think it ha in Buenos Aires too, you just see people sitting for hours just chatting and taking time for pleasure. And for some reason, um, in our country, we are go, 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 go. And I'm not placing a judgment. I think it's just the nature of uh, living in America. Capitalism, maybe. Also competitiveness and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, there's always been this drive in this country to be the best. And I've met people that come from other countries, living in New York, of course. We have many, many friends who are, who've moved here. And one thing they've, I've heard from several different types of people, different people from different places, is in America, the U.S., I should say, um, it is assumed from birth that you're going to be really, really good at something. And they say, like, where I'm from, we don't have that attitude. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, we don't, we don't feel like we're driven to always have to be the best at something. And they find from their outside observation, coming here and living here for a time, that there's an enormous amount of expectations that you're just going to, everybody here has the ability to be the best. It's like this exceptionalism that we are all growing up with. No, I feel the same way. I do feel the same way. Uh, I, I mean, I don't feel that that we should be doing that. I feel that many, many people are doing that because mm -hmm. there's so much pressure, yeah. either by society or by parents or by themselves for some reason. So I agree. I completely agree with you. Which brings us back to the advantages of tango <laughs> because um, if you take time out to dance, you're in the here and now and you cannot follow or lead, I think. If you are dancing the tango, it, you cannot stop and think because that kills the whole dance. Mm. And you're in the here and now. And what I found, and I said that at the beginning of the time I started tango, I do a lot of thinking. And when I did my first tanda, I, the thoughts went right out of my head. The only thing I could think of was being in the here and now and following my leader. And that's why that's so healthy. And that's Be why, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No. Oh, well, I was just going to take it back to the, the health part of it that you talked about before. I think that's why it's so helpful for people because it's like meditation. It is meditation. It you is are, meditation. You're in the present. It's very rare we're completely in the present moment. And the psychological movement, the whole area of psychology and psychiatry, more so than ever, because I remember in the beginning it was sitting on the couch and telling your whole story, more than ever, psychology and psychiatry is moving to being in the here and now, mm -hmm. and tango does it for you automatically. Mm -hmm. So that's another reason if you want to actually be in the here and now and not meditate and be have it be pleasant and have a partner and listen to the most gorgeous music what better way to get into the here and now i find when i'm working with students the in the early when they're beginner more beginners like the hardest thing for them to do is to let go and just be in that moment yes you know I, to even complete a full song without stopping and thinking and questioning and, 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 and just 
shutting that off and just being present and letting things happen. Yeah. I think the hardest, most probably the hardest thing for some students to do is to do this dance from their body and their heart and soul and not their brain because many of the tango uh, leaders that I have danced with are brilliant, are very brilliant. And I know some of them that are very brilliant and find it very hard to stop thinking the dance but just moving to the dance. I think, it's, I think it would be harder to follow in tango in that way because I feel as a leader, you have to think a little bit ahead, even though you're in the moment. It's the nature of the role as a leader to plan. You're planning true, a little bit ahead. True. And when I follow, although I don't do it enough, a lot or enough perhaps, and maybe I would develop this more, but right now when I follow, I find it much easier to think sometimes than I would as a leader because as a leader, I'm, I am thinking already what I'm going to do next. Whereas a follower, I'm in the, it's, it's just, I guess what I mean to say is it's harder for me to stay in the present moment as a follower because I can't think. And I so I can it. very easily start thinking and then I lose the moment I'm in. And it's, it's something that you develop over time, I believe. Just like being present, being present and not thinking, not seeing something out of the corner of your eye or, <laughs> or something happens and you, the moment you, you, you lose that, it's like, oh, yeah, lose the connection. Can, yeah, I get it, Adam. In the beginning, it was very hard for me because basically I've been, uh, I del like I say, I, I think a lot, I read a lot, a lot comes from the brain and not the body, but um in the following, I have learned to slow down, and actually, I have to not listen with my ears. I have to listen with my body mm -hmm. to my my partner, and that is such a good thing for people like me who spends a lot of time reading and thinking and analyzing, and it's delicious if you can manage to just let that all go, which you have to do. Mm if you're going to enjoy the dance because the good following comes from waiting and feeling where your partner is taking you. It's also a wonderful thing for people who like to control a little bit because when you're following, forget control. Mm -hmm. There is no control. He has the control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, and, and, and every, everywhere I teach, I just find like in New York, it's 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 more difficult for for people to let go of control because in a city like New York, you really need a lot of control. You need to control where you go in the subway and then the streets and, and right, and, and right. Be careful and watch yourself and right. You know, take care of yourself, especially as a woman. And I feel like in certain places I teach, I notice that some people have a much easier time letting go of that control, whereas in other places they're so guarded that it takes a longer time to, to create that. I know, I agree with you 100%. I know couples who gave up the tango because the woman couldn't give up her need to control the dance and the man in a class or with a private teacher would say, it, you're leading her and she just couldn't give up that that need to be in control. In fact, she wanted to do the leading. And I know one or two couples who stopped doing the tango because of that. And if you're doing, let's say you're doing jazz or Lindy or I think mostly let's 
take rock and roll and Lindy or even discotheque. Each one can do their own thing. Yeah. But you can't do that with tango. So. Uh, well, hopefully, women will start. Those women will start leading then, because you know now tango has become a lot less gender specific, which I think is good. Do you think that women are? Do you see in your in your experience? Do you see women learning the lead? Oh, absolutely. There's more teachers encouraging it. There's more milongas accepting it, and there's more people choosing to do that. And I think it's great. I think it's great for more than one reason. It's great for the reason that um, you have more leaders, and it's also great because there are usually not enough men to go around. And mm -hmm. if you have women leaders, there will be less women sitting on the sidelines yeah. not dancing. And also because, just like with the patriarchy in general that you've especially grown up with, growing up through the 40s and 50s and 60s and all these decades, the culture will change a lot diff more when we change the gender roles. Absolutely. And if more women are leading, it could actually, it will definitely, I hope, uh, add a lot more s different uh, perspective as what it means to be a leader instead of marrying be uh, such a macho thing. Uh, it could take the art form in a totally different direction because it's a different uh, perspective you know coming to it and I think that's that's also true just having younger people learning how to dance versus an older people and and more artistic people versus uh, more academic I mean everybody brings their own perspective to any art and uh, but it's interesting in tango because you know you have this art form where men only do this and women only do that it's kind of weird um, right right especially in these times so now I think it's great that those barriers are breaking and, and not only are they breaking, but like the places where you go do them are, are more accepting. Because there was a time, like in Buenos Aires especially, where you know the, the organizers wouldn't let women lead. And now I've been to those same events where they're just like, okay, fine, you know, which is good. Of course, know. because the times have changed. Yeah. They're different, of course. I'm thinking too in Buenos Aires of one Malonga where that we went to and the women were on one side and the men are uh, were on the other side. Well, that's so not now here uh, anymore. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I didn't think about it, but it's true, it's happening in other places and it should be like that because if, let's say this married couple, she liked leading, uh, why not? Mm -hmm. because we're breaking the barriers, the gender barriers, so tango is following suit. Yeah. So now, let me know when you need to go, okay? I am parked, on, I'm fine, I'm parked until 5.30, which means I have to leave at 5.15. Okay. I'm on a two-hour parking spot, which is unheard of in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whenever you come, you're always very uh, excited about not only parking, but you tell me this, how your friends always comment on how they can't even believe you still drive into the city. Right. Oh, yeah, that's that. They, I'm, I, it's like I'm a wonder to them. And again, there's a challenge there in staying focused. You have to stay focused. <laughs> and so. Yeah, that's for <laughs> sure. A, you, I, you would never think of driving to compare driving to uh, tango. But it's another area where I can't think about all the other stuff where I have to just focus. And the biggest, biggest joy is finding a parking spot. And I tell myself I shouldn't, but I just 
get the biggest kick out of finding a parking spot and not paying for it. I'm sure many New Yorkers will relate to that. <laughs> so I wanna, we've talked about your time teaching abroad in the 50s. Then you came back. So in the 60s, in the 70s, you're here teaching in Paramus. I was teaching in Paramus. And living in same, not the same place you have now, no? I have had my place. Uh, I, wasn't li I was living in New York okay. with Bob. Mm -hmm. And you told me once a story about how you remember where you were. You were walking on the street when John Lennon was sadly... Yes, because we lived right next door. We were lived on fifth, at 15 West 72nd Street, which was right next door. Yes, I was across the street. And you said you, you remember seeing... Crowds, yeah. The whole thing happened. The whole, whole sad story, what yeah. A terrible thing, yeah. You have a good memory, Adam, and I most probably do quite a bit of talking. <laughs> well... Like I said earlier, you, you've thrown out some interesting stories from time to time when we meet on our Wednesday classes. And, um, yeah, I, I just I find it fascinating. That's, that's all. Because well, it's things that only, I've only heard about in reading about them. Oh, well, thank you, know. you for caring. Not everybody is interested, really. I know that you were interested from the first time I told you I was teaching overseas mm -hmm. and you wanted to know where. And you also were one of the few people who realized that in those days women didn't do that. Yeah. And that kind, of, that kind of thrilled me that you realized that. Well, I think times have changed rather quickly compared in, in certain ways compared to the, the way they they changed, uh, I'm speaking more of like, you know, gender inequality and things Absol of that nature. And, and I think there's still f much further to go. But I feel like there was a, a blanket of time when, when nothing was changing and it was just ex expect expected. And, in, you know, you've, I don't know if you really want to talk much about this, but you've mentioned in the past about Bob briefly. And you mentioned just how he was such, it sounded to me like he was a very, uh, he didn't have any kind of gender roles, def predefined gender roles in his head. Oh, no, you speak no. about your time with him and how he just seemed... It reminds me of... Um, I just watched the, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary, and it reminds me of the way her husband treated her throughout her life and her career, just very supportive, always was like... Never thought of her as, a, as somebody lesser or, or anything different because she was a woman and was very supportive of all of her choices. Yes, that was a really lucky talk about connection. That was a beautiful, lucky, lovely connection. Yeah. And and even you told me the story about how you had an apartment in Jersey and you moved in with Bob here in Manhattan, but he told you to keep your place. Yes, he <laughs> told me to keep my place because he said my place was cheaper than his garage. <laughs> And you have, you still have that place. I so. still have that. That's the place that I'm redoing. <laughs> That's the place that has a really lovely, lovely view. And many, many times I post pictures of the view on Facebook. Mm -hmm. I can see the bridge, the river, as far as JFK, and downtown Manhattan. And the scene changes every day. And it really is. Um, it's a. It's a little bit of joy. Have you always expressed your appreciation so much 
for people or is that something that you developed over time? I think my first words, I, I, I don't know where it came from really, but I think my first words were not mom and dad. I think my first words were thank you. I just, um, I just, it just parted me. Hmm. Wow. That's very rare. And I didn't know if that was something you developed, you know, later on in life or if it was, if I, I'm trying to imagine Norma at 25, if she was going to say, I just want to acknowledge you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? I think that I've always been like that, and I, I, yeah, I, 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 it, it's part of my nature, and it's very, very hard for me to uh, be with aggressive people, mm. and it, from the time that I was little, I also somehow, I just looked at people and thought they were remarkable in what they were doing. I mean, and I see it now. I see courageous people who are uh, survivors of, of diseases going on, putting one foot in front of the other. I, I, just, seem to, I just seem to recognize the beauty of, of, of people. Not all, I know, I know it, it's, it's like that, I, I focus on that. I don't know why I do, but um, I know that we're living in hard times and I know that there's lots that need, lots of, of horrible things going on all over the world. But I think that maybe I was also born optimistic, if that's possible. Yeah, I think it is. I feel similar, although I, I tend to be more angry than you. <laughs> I definitely am a, a more optimistic person when it comes to the big picture. I yeah. try to see hope. I mean, I don't even think I try to see hope. I just always sort of see the hope first. And I know a lot of people... Sadly, they don't. No, no. I, I, it, I, I, that's most probably that's why we have a connection the way we do. We sort of think the same way. The, mm. the, 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 for me, the glass is half empty, half full, and I'm looking at, and I know it isn't that I ignore the half empty part. No, because we've had some funny conversations. Um, I remember the first time I heard you swear. <laughs> Because up until this point, you're Norma Silver, you're an older woman, so you're sweet and all those things that you're supposed to be at that age, you know. And one day we were talking and we were sitting on the other side on the bench and I mentioned how somebody was behaving towards me and you said, well, Adam, they're a bitch. And, and Tammy was walking, the owner of the studio was walking by and she did the double take because she was not expecting that word to leave your mouth. <laughs> and that's when I started to see that there's more to Norma than, than there's because uh, you're right. There is more to you than just the, the the glass half full part. Right. But that's the part that you are more uh, in touch with. Yeah. On and a day to day basis, although, but the other part does show itself sometimes. Yeah, and I I I also have to say I'm kind of I wasn't always, but I'm on the self protective side. I try to surround myself with people who don't bring that out in me. Of course, yeah. I think that's... Because I don't like that part of me, and I, don't, I, I prefer being around people who, uh, who bring out the part of me that thinks, 
wow, that person is great. Wow, you know, look at what they did. Or, or so. Um, but it's taken me years to feel permission to just drop or stay away from situations that are negative. It's taken me years not to read all the horror stories that are going on. It's taken me years not to listen to the news when it, on a day when I'm not feeling too well. And I, if I listen to the news, it can easily bring me down. But I will, I will just shut that down and go to something else mm. because I find that I can sponge it up. Yeah. I, bad vibrations, I, I feel I can sponge up. Mm-hmm. I think that also having access to the social media all the time can make that more difficult yes. to avoid those things. Yeah. But I know a lot of people who don't even partake in that anymore because they're very sensitive to those things. Yeah, and um, I know and I try hard to do my best uh, for it to help out people, to donate to charities that... I believe in, and I know that there's all kind of problems all over the world, but I also know that I can't do anything about it. Yeah. So I do what I can, but I really do make it a point to surround myself not only with people who um, are good to be around, but with beauty. I'm very much into nature, and I can see a flower, and I immediately feel better or the trees I and um, that just seems to lift me up Mm -hmm. and I make it my business if I'm feeling down to do things that lift me up that's good not always I don't have it down to a science right 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 no well we're human so we there are days yeah there are days when I just say I'm not getting out the door I'm just going to listen to tango music or something (laughs) but Mm -hmm. Yeah. But generally, it, it takes it just takes um, it it takes focusing on the half full. And like you said, I also think it takes not beating yourself up when you when you slide out of that and you don't for a day or two find that strength. But but you try not to let that define everything. You Oh, come back to oh I agree yeah because there's no such thing as perfection not even in your own philosophy and if you're having a bad day or you've made a mistake um, it's very very hard not to beat up on yourself but that takes practice too Mm -hmm. to have self-compassion and I think that's why having people to talk to and, and people to share your stories with help you remember it helps me remember i'll say that that we're all we're all doing we're all in the same i don't want to use the word struggle because it's not always a struggle it's a, sort of a negative way to put it but we're all on the same journey and, and sometimes the journey is you know sunny and sometimes it's rainy and sometimes you know but right yeah i like the word journey i didn't think of the word journey but that's true So, you finished teaching in uh, the late 80s, early 90s? How long were you in Paramus? Um, teaching in Paramus? Mm-hmm. Well, I, altogether, my teaching career was 42 years. Wow. In Paramus, I think it was... That's w- including overseas. That's including overseas. Okay. And... Um, 
Um, Paramus must have been, let's see, five years in Brooklyn, three years overseas. Um, must have been a good 30-something years. Mm-hmm. And then you... Loved re- it. I loved it. I really loved it. Yeah. And you retired, and, that, and then you re- that's when you retired, was after teaching, correct? I retired and, um, and didn't, ha- didn't find one day boring. Mm-hmm. Did amazing. some tutoring for a while. Mm-hmm. And then you got into, you danced with Bob, you did ballroom, you said. We, I, I started dancing ballroom at age 21 at the 92nd Street Y. Huh. And um, would go to dances at several places. And uh, yes, and then when I did meet Bob, we would go to a place that I am not even sure it's open, is called Roseland. Roseland Ballroom. Yeah. I don't even know if that's open. Yet. No, I don't think so. And then uh, the dances were different. Mm-hmm. And we, ne- we, never, he never, we never did Argentine tango. We did, he didn't. We didn't do American tango either. His favorite was um, cha-cha, mambo, rumba, um, bolero, hmm. and uh, in those days it was called Lindy. And you said he used to go down to Cuba. He to went to Cuba every before I met him. Huh. He went to Cuba because he loved the music and the dance there. That's wow. That's that's yeah. cool. Yeah. I think the relations between the countries were much better back then. So Oh, it was a whole different yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think unless there's anything else we want to talk about, I think we've No, I just quite a bit. Uh, I just want to once again acknowledge you, Adam, for encouraging me and for hours and hours of wonderful lessons and for friendship. Yeah, and also uh, just want to say again how how beautiful tango is, the music, and how um, how much it contributes to people connecting with each other on a face to face basis in a world that is filled with technology and texting, where very often very few people get to communicate, and tango is one way you can't. It it just encourage it, it it is communicating it might only be for uh, three dances it might only be for one dance but it's such a healthy thing uh, when you think about the fact that many of us and I'm included use technology and text and sometimes we don't speak to somebody for days it's just texting well, it's interesting you bring that up I'm almost wondering now if if this sort of thing will will build the dance communities more maybe maybe having this text technology keeping people so far apart it could it could almost inspire like a revolution of people looking for ways to get close again it might even it might at one right now i feel like it could separate more but maybe there'll be a time when people will be so tired of that they'll still seek out dancing experiences so they can find connections again that's a really good point because another thing that's been written up and shown is that people need connection. From the time you're small, you need connection. You need touching. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It might be that by having so much technology, there will be such a thing as uh, 
friendship deprivation. Yeah, and like and physical deprivation, it, like sensual. Because I was talking to another organizer recently, and he was saying how he has a theory that right now we're going through this like Facebook social media, social media drought of the milongas because people are choosing to stay. They get so much out of just staying home and clicking on the computer that they would have once had to go out and get in right, human right, human form. Right. And, you know, we were talking about that recently, and, and I was hoping, again, maybe this goes back to me being an optimist, that eventually people will just find that so empty, because it really is in a lot of ways, um, that it'll force them to be inspired to get out again and, and look for human connection. I don't know. Oh, I hope so, too. I didn't think about that. It would be like out of their deprivation, they would uh, would want to go someplace where they could meet and be social. And that's interesting because I had a friend come and watch me a mm. few weeks ago, and she said she realized how much she was missing because she wasn't dancing. And then we can go to the basic physiology of a baby. A baby, as soon as it's born or soon after, is kicking their feet and moving. Mm -hmm. And when you're sitting at home uh, working your computer on Facebook, uh, you're really also getting deprived of movement, and your body really needs it. Yeah. And true. I find that if I stop dancing and stop walking... I find that I almost my body almost feels starved for it. Mm -hmm. So that what a one I never thought about that. Well, just coming here to this dance studio, if I like, I just spent the weekend home in Brooklyn. It was my birthday, and I was with friends and da 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 da. da. So I was social and with people, but I find when I come back to the studio and I see people in the rooms dancing and music's playing and they're talking and they're laughing and. I could come here at noon or 1 p.m. and maybe you know I'm not I'm not a necessarily a grumpy person in the morning, but but I don't wake up with like smiles and bells and whistles on. I wake up, I have my coffee, you know. I, but then I come here and I just see the joy of dancing and the music, and I and I immediately like wake up and feel better. And there's something that there's a lot of things you can do online and and through technology that won't necessarily change so much in person but there's one thing you can't absolutely can't do and that's dance <laughs> <laughs> you can't dance online and you can't connect to somebody in the same way on you just can't you can't even take a class online the same way it's totally different of course no that's so true i i you're opening my mind to uh many new ideas yes yes well, it's very interesting I thank you for giving me the first... In now, you've heard me and everybody's heard me talk about many, many different experiences, but this is the first time I've ever done an interview, and I, I, I acknowledge you for that, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm honored to be the first person to sit down and interview. I thank so you. I'm sure we'll all enjoy your story, and uh, thank you, Norma, for your time. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed that story, everyone, because I have no idea, and I don't know if I'll ever know what it's going to be like to live through so much. Um, I feel like we've all already lived through so much. Sometimes I think, oh, my God, what a life. And then I meet Norma, people who've lived through a lot more. And I realize I'm still just beginning this journey here even at the ripe old age of 37. Ha, ha, ha. No, but um, long way to go. A lot more adventures to have. 
it's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, time to stay healthy and make sure we can make it for the long haul. Uh, in case you ever wondered if I do these intros at the same time as my interviews, obviously you can tell that's not the case because I just dropped an octave or two. Um, okay, so on for the on to the next adventure for me. I hope you all have a great June, and I will be back with reports from Thailand in uh, in a few weeks. Okay, take care, everyone.